And the other thing I want to talk about again is this, this hairnet on my head. How many of you were involved, and I, I just want you to think about it. You don't have to raise a hand or anything, but you were involved in some way in Feed My Starving Children. You gave, you prayed, you packed, you cleaned, you tore down. Like this was a huge thing that just happened this weekend. I'm so excited to be a part of a community of churches that works together so stuff like this can happen, right? I mean, we had to raise $30,000 and we had to provide over 450 volunteers volunteers for this event to happen. There isn't a church in town that can do that by itself. We are better together, right? Like, and so there were churches, there were 12 to 15 churches that were all part of it. People from town um, were, were a part of it. We had businesses donating um, and all of those things. And I just want to read you a little bit about what happened this week. And if you prayed, if you gave, if you volunteered, I want you to hear there was a total of 425 volunteers here um, uh, for, or I'm sorry, 405 here for the pack and a total of 425 for the whole thing. We packed 101,088 meals um, this weekend in, in three packing shifts. And maybe you didn't hear that. 101,088 meals are going to go over an ocean or to an area in rapid distress, like when they respond to hurricanes or tornadoes, um, right? Somebody, thank you, whoever clapped first. That is an incredible thing that just happened. I've been able to be involved in this stuff on both sides. I actually learned about Feed My Starving Children when I was in El Salvador the very first time working with Convoy of Hope, and we were distributing these Mana packs, these bags of food that you just packed um, uh, yesterday, we were distributing them, and I noticed one of the boxes said Minnesota. And I was like, what in the world? And so that's when I started to dig in. Um, I was on a missions trip with another organization passing out the food just like we packed here this weekend. And that's kind of the catalyst of, of my um, understanding of Feed My Starving Children. But I want you to hear this last number, and this is a big one. I, they did this during the pack. If you were here, it was that. But I want you to repeat after me, 276. 276. Because of your generosity, because of your giving and our community's giving, because of your generosity and your volunteerism and our community's volunteerism, 276 kids are going to be fed one meal a day for a year. That is an incredible thing. And I, I just want you to get, like, so many times you hear this, you, you hear this, we're going to change the world, and you're like, I don't know how. Some of you gave money, and you changed a kid's world. Some of you volunteered an hour and a half or more, and you helped change a kid's world. We're we're not, when we're talking about hunger, we're not talking about I skip breakfast so I'm hungry. We're talking about it's been multiple days since I've eaten and I don't know where food is going to come from. Um, uh, we, we've been talking about this. If you've been on some of these missions trips with us, I remember being in Haiti. And that was the first place I heard a missionary say these kids can't dream about the future. Kids in Haiti, these kids that we're dealing with, they don't dream about being a doctor someday. They don't dream about going off to college. They don't dream about who they're going to marry because all they're worried about is surviving another day. The only thing that they have emotional capacity for, the only thing they have mental capacity for is surviving that day. There's no room for dreams. And I want you to hear when you do something like this, you change a child's future. It is such a 
big deal. So I just want to say again, thank you for being a part of it. Um, thank you for it. Um, again, I want to, I, I, I don't know if any of the other pastors will watch or other people, but if you're from another church in town or a business in town and you donated, thank you. Um, this is such a huge thing that we got to be a part of. Um, and I'm so grateful that we get to do those kind of things. Um, and so the, the hairnet, that's what it's all about. If you threw your hairnet away, you should go buy one at Walmart today and finish wearing it for the rest of the day. Um, and uh, then when people ask you why you're wearing a hairnet, you can tell, I helped change a kid's life this weekend. Um, and it's such, such an important thing as we get to do those things. So we're going to dive into our Christmas series today. We're going we're gonna to start this, this Christmas uh, this series as we go. And we're going to be talking about pursuing the king. How many of you have ever pursued something that you later found out was not worth pursuing? Right? Like, uh, like you went hard after it. Maybe it was a member of the opposite sex that you found attractive, and then you got a little closer, and you were like, "Wow, you were good from far, but far from good," you know. And like, um, and maybe, maybe that's that's what happened, or maybe it was just something like you saved and you worked and you did all kinds of stuff, and then you, you know, like as a kid, right? Sometimes you would just save money for what seemed like forever, and it was like two and a half weeks, but then you finally got that thing, and it broke the second day you got it in the mail, you know, like anybody, you, you, maybe that was you, like you pursued something that, that was just absolutely not worth your time, energy, you know, emotions, any of those things, and you went after it. Or maybe you pursued something that was good, but you pursued it with wrong motives. And it might have been good, but you weren't ready for it, right? And so even though it was a good thing, things went sideways, because you weren't ready when you were pursuing that thing. Anybody? You pursued something, and it might have been good, but your heart was wrong. And so everything just kind of went not the way it was supposed to go. We've all been in those kind of spots, right? Like we've all, all seen those kind of things, and we, we, we've been there. I want, I want to read a story. I want to read a story about somebody pursuing something good in the Bible but with absolutely the wrong intentions, right? And it's one of the Christmas stories. I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter two. It's where we're gonna start today, and then we're gonna bounce to, to Acts in a little while. But I wanna read this story. If you've been in America, you know, for any amount of time, you've probably heard this story. If you grew up around church or those kind of things, you've heard this story. If you grew up um, in a Christian home in, a, in another country on another continent, you've heard this story, right? This is the story of Christmas is a familiar story, right? Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're familiar with pieces of this story and you're at least a little familiar with some of the, the, the people in it. Um, but I want to read Matthew chapter Chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. I want to stop and I want to talk about this for a little bit. 
It's really interesting when you study this out. It's most likely that these wise men were from Babylon or Assyria, right? They come from the east and they see it. Jerusalem and Israel, the entire nation, both kingdoms at that time, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel. If you read through the Old Testament, you know they were conquered by Babylon and Assyria. They hauled people away. They emptied out the tomb. They took the precious scrolls of, of the scripture with them, right? And eventually, after several decades, the Jews go back into the land of Israel, but they have to leave a lot of this stuff behind. And so one of the things that would happen, and we know this from history, is that some of the wise men, some of the learned peoples would, would study these Jewish scriptures because they found them fascinating. Not that they found them true. They just found stories about a single God doing all of this amazing stuff fascinating right? And so they study it. And I think that's where this happens. Now, don't take that as scripture. This is my opinion. I think these, these wise men were learned people from Assyria or Babylon who would study the Jewish scriptures and they start looking for this king. And they don't know all of the details about the Jews. They don't understand the birthplace of David. They don't know all of those kind of things. So when they go to Israel looking for a king, they go to the castle of the king in Israel. His name is Herod, right? They go there looking for it. They stop and they say, we're looking for the king of the Jews. They went to the king and said, there's a, there's a star that came up. We've been reading your scriptures. We followed it all this way. And right now we're looking for the king of the Jews. And Herod, the current king, is obviously a little bit upset about that because he has children, but none of them were just born. He has adult children, and now he's got a group of people following a star saying, we're looking for the new king of Israel. And he's like, you're looking at the old king of Israel, the current king of Israel, and the future king of Israel. What are you talking about? He's disturbed. He's upset. Verse 4, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. He had a meeting with his guys, right? Now he's going to have a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time the star had first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go worship him too. That sounds great. Right? Herod begins pursuing the Messiah. And if we stopped the story right there, we would think, wow. God turned the heart of a very wicked king. Right? If you know history, you don't even have to know Bible history. If you've studied history, you probably are familiar with the name Herod the Great. That's who we're talking about. We're talking about a genocidal maniac who killed people on a whim just because they displeased him. What a great story. He's confronted with the Messiah and he just wants to find the newborn king. What a great story. Christmas miracle. Except you keep reading. Right? Verse 9, after this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. 
When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You're probably familiar with all that. Maybe even sang a few songs about it. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. You need to understand that we have no idea whether or not these wise men really followed God. They were looking for a sign. They were looking for a Messiah, right? They, they were looking for something in scriptures, but we have no idea if they really were followers of Jesus from this point on. But God gave them a dream and they listened, right? God gave them a dream and warned them not to return to the king. Understand the risk they just took. They're foreigners in a land ruled by a crazy dictator who gave them a direct command. When you find him, you come find me. But rather than listen to Herod, they listened to the dream God had given them. And they snuck out of the country, or at least they didn't go back the same way. Verse 13, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up! Flee to Egypt with this child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfillment, this fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. That's a part of our Christmas story we don't usually tell to our children. But I want you to hear what had happened. Now, some people look at this and they draw a real hard timeline and they say, okay, the star appeared, the wise men followed it, Jesus must have been two when the wise men got there. Okay, we're not really told that. I will tell you I don't think the wise men showed up to the manger on the night Jesus was born because when they get there, they're in the house, not in a manger. Right? I mean, I, I don't think it was all quite so neat and simple as our nativity scenes make it, but that's okay. It's, it's all right to still have it all there. It's all part of one story. If you're like me and you're a nerd, though, your wise men are probably on a windowsill across the room from your, your manger scene. That's kind of what I do. They're on the way, but they just didn't quite make it that night. Um, it's, it's all right. But we see these three men come looking for a king with good motives, and we're going to talk about them more later, but I want to focus on Herod today. It is possible to pursue God with all the wrong intentions. It is possible to seek after Jesus for all the wrong reasons. And it is impossible to encounter God and completely miss the point. It's absolutely possible to do all those things. It's absolutely possible to see all of those things happen. Herod goes, and I, you need to hear it because this is part of the story. This is part of the story of our 
Christ coming into this world. Herod is livid. The star appears two years ago or so. That's how long. Understand the dedication of these guys. Between that star rising, them figuring out that that's a new star, figuring out we're going to follow it and what it means, and them actually arriving at Herod's palace, two years-ish have passed. And so Herod's like, fine. You're going to try and trick me? You're going to leave? I'm going to kill every kid born in that region that's two and under. Every boy, two and under, done. Now I want you to hear, okay? I I need you to hear for just a second. This is horrific if one kid died. More than one kid died. But some people want to try and look back and be like, oh, if this actually happened, it would be part of all of these histories because it would be this great big massacre. Bethlehem is a tiny little hamlet. Herod absolutely could have done this and no one outside of that area could have known. Okay, like that 100% could have happened. If he would have done that and the emperor of Rome would have found out he did that, he would have had to pay a price. But fortunately for him, unfortunately for every family involved and every child involved, Bethlehem isn't on the way to anywhere and it's a tiny little town in the middle of nowhere and Herod could fulfill his desire to go kill every kid in this town, two and under, every boy, two and under in this town, and not raise any sort of alarm outside of that town. I absolutely believe with my whole heart that this is not some part of a story that we tell our kids for fun like we tell the story of Peter Rabbit. I believe this is a 100% factual account. And Herod sought Jesus with all of the wrong motives and all the wrong reasons because Herod wasn't looking to serve God. Herod was looking to serve himself. All Herod cared about was himself. And when he couldn't get his way, people paid the price for it. I need you to hear that story this Christmas. I don't mean to be this huge downer. We'll tell other ones that are a lot more exciting and fun. But as we approach Christmas this year, as all of the festivities are coming, I hope you get to see some family. I hope that you get to experience the joy of opening some present. That's not going to save your soul. I get it. But it's just great memories, right? I hope you get to eat some food. I hope you take some time to quiet your soul, though, and really evaluate what am I doing in my walk with Jesus? Because it's possible to approach the manger of God. It is possible to approach Jesus with all the wrong motives, learn exactly the wrong lesson, and walk away completely unchanged. And as we take time in the coming month, to sit down and evaluate things. I just want you to check your heart. Where are you really at? Can you genuinely say, Jesus, you can do whatever you need to do in my life? Or are there parameters there? Jesus, you can do as long as you do whatever you want to do as long as I get this or that or I don't have to do this or that. Right? Don't make me forgive that person. Don't make me go to Africa. Don't make me encounter that guy. 
I would like to be a millionaire, so if you could make that happen, that'd be great. And if all of my wish list is fulfilled, then Jesus, you have my heart. Or are we just going to come to the king and bow knee and say, God, you know better than me. Here I am. Do what you need to do. I know that's hard. I've had to wrestle with that on so many days. I've had to wrestle with my attitude. I've had to wrestle with my motives. I've had to wrestle with circumstances. Forgiveness is not easy for me. But Jesus is smarter than me. God is bigger than me. And he knows better than me. And so as I approach the throne of God, I can do it with right motives or wrong motives. And that really is up to me. That's really up to me. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts. Acts chapter 8. So what's happened here as we're leading into this story is the apostles, right, right? Jesus was born. Jesus lived his life. He taught. He died on a cross because we needed him to. But he didn't stay dead. That wouldn't be a great story. Lots of people died on a cross. But Jesus didn't just die. He said, I'm going to die. And then he said, three days later, I'm going to rise again. And he did that. And that's why we're still talking about the story. That's why he's God. Lots of people said, I'm going to die and rise again. Only one ever pulled it off. His name is Jesus. He talks to his disciples. He teaches them a few more days. He ascends to heaven. The Holy Spirit comes down. And now the world is shaking on its axis. Christians are going forth. Amazing things are happening. Stories are happening. People are coming to Christ by the thousands. And now people are starting to notice. And in Acts chapter 8, we see a man named Simon, verse 9, a man named Simon, not Simon Peter. This is a different Simon. Simon was a very, very common name then. Okay, right? Like, how many of you have a name where you meet someone almost every day with the same name as you? Right? Like, it's just, it, like, it's not a thing. Like, you've got a name, and all the time you meet them. How many of you have a name where you're like, I would love someday to meet anyone with my name? Right? Like, you've got, a, you've got one of those names, right? Yeah, so it happens. Right? But, but we have a story of a guy with, like, the most common name. John and Simon were... were super common names then. Um, so a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. So get it, this guy is living a nice life. Everybody knows his name, Everyone's afraid of him, a little in awe of him, and they all think he's the man because he's able to just do all this magic stuff and think it's awesome. But now, this guy named Jesus has died and rose from the dead. And his apostles are spreading out across the known area doing miracles that this guy, it's blowing his mind. Right? Verse 12, but now they believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. So they were astounded by him, but now they believe Philip's message. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He believed. He believed in who Jesus was, and he was baptized. 
He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus only. Then Peter and John laid their hands on these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was, was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. It sounds good, right? It sounds almost like a worthy investment. Like, you're doing something amazing. I'll give you money. You give me the power to do something good in God's name. It sounds almost good. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you your evil thoughts for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Everybody wants that said about them from the pulpit copied in scripture for us to be reading about 2,000 years later. I need you to hear it. This man believed the message. He was baptized in the name of Jesus. But he was still selfish. He was still bitter. And he was still more concerned with his greatness than seeing the glory of God spread. It wasn't really about being able to do something for God. It was about being able to be seen doing the miraculous. It is absolutely possible to pursue God, to even look the part for a while, but to have entirely wrong motives. And as we approach the Christmas season. As we are, some of you have probably had your tree set up for a month already, right? Maybe yours never came down from last year. Maybe you have a 12-month tree. I see a lot of people looking at moms right now. I don't know. I like, a lot of people are glancing over. But we all know this time is significant. You don't have to even be a follower of Jesus to know that the whole world, or at least all of America, but even most of the world outside of, of America, like most places in this world, this is a special time of year. Lots of religions kind of have patterned holidays after this time of year because it's such an important thing in our calendar. We see all of this activity some of us are more busy than ever, even though we're supposed to slow down. But I just want to encourage you in this time to evaluate your heart. Evaluate your motives. It's possible to say the right things. To look like you're following Jesus and have all of the wrong attitudes and motives. And can I just tell you, 
And let me just quote the Old Testament. God doesn't care about your sacrifice. He cares about your heart. Can Can we just be that blunt this morning? God doesn't care how Christian you look. He cares about your heart. He cares about your heart. He wants your heart given wholly to him. Not with all the strings attached, not with bad motives, just sat down in front of Jesus and said, here I am. I'm ready for you, whatever that looks like. It's my challenge to you. That's part of our Christmas story. It's not the fun part of the Christmas story. Like I said, I've never seen a Christmas card with Herod's picture on it. I've never seen an ornament with his name on it, right? Because it's not the good part of the story, but it is a part of the story. And I think we need to learn from that part of the story. Jesus, you're good. You are good. I'm not. Lots of times I'm selfish. Lots of times my motives aren't where they're supposed to be. Lots of times I struggle, but you're always good. And God, I want you to search my heart today. I want you to to dig deep into me and reveal things that need to be dealt with at the cross. Reveal to me selfishness. Reveal to me whatever needs to go because I want to follow you with a whole heart. I don't want to be one of these people that someday people talk about and like, oh yeah, he looked good. He said right things, but man, he was broken. God, here I am. And I pray for everyone here in the room, watching online, listening to a podcast later. Help us all to evaluate honestly. Reveal what needs to be revealed that we just come looking for the king with the right heart and the right motives, ready to do what you need us to do. In your name I pray, amen. Have an awesome Sunday, everybody.